I'm now going to, uh, to uh, give an introduction to our speakers and first to say that this will be a conversation between Christine Ayane, uh, Billy Zangewa and Marcia Cure on uh, te uh, texture forms and fabrics. So starting with Marcia. Um, Marcia Cure lives and works in New Jersey, USA. Cure trained at the University of Nigeria where she developed an awareness of modern artistic forms as well as an eye for the anthropomorphic. Her practice explores themes of female identity, hip-hop culture and Victorian and historical fashion. Her work has been shown in museums and gallery exhibitions worldwide. Our next uh, artist is Billy Zangewa. Billy Zangewa received her BFA in graphics and printmaking before moving to Johannesburg, where she continues to reside, or where she resides. Um, she worked in the fashion and advertising industries before devoting her time wholly to art. Um, her work draws upon her understanding of textiles and fashion design and combines art with text um, and luscious fabrics. Um, and she's also been exhibited in numerous galleries and museums world over. Um, and then moderating this talk will be Christine Ayene. Christine is the Guild Research Fellow in Contemporary Art at the University of Central Lancashire. Um, as an art historian, Ayane has, is particularly interested in highlighting under-researched narratives and marginalised discourses, notably, the field of modern, notably in the field of modern art. She develops projects around contemporary art from Africa and the diaspora in the UK and internationally. So if you could please all welcome our illustrious panel. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jose. Thank you, everyone, for being here um, today. Um, and thank you, Billy and Marcia, for accepting you know, uh, this invitation. And thank you, Koyo, for this invitation to moderate uh, this conversation. So we're going to start with you, Billy. You're going to give a, a short introduction to your work. Um, and I think we have a... Um, I'd like to just share some images with you and just go into very you know, quick explanation into some of them. Um, I prepared this whole kind of um, like a, um, professional presentation, but um, actually I want to start with um, showing you the progression of a piece so you can see the layering of the textile, so you can experience the actual fabric and not just the finished uh, narrative. So this is the work, the progression of Fire Escape, which I'm actually presenting here with Afronova in the art fair. <clears throat> so you can see here is how I choose to, um, to develop it and layer it. And then I'd just like to quickly go through the predominant themes that I've worked with with textiles, and they've been the city, personal relationships, and identity. And uh, in the city, my images are a bit distorted. <laughs> Can I say that? Can I disrupt it by saying that? <laughs> Actually, but anyway, so this piece is um, the portrait of a post-apartheid city. And this piece, Troival Sundays, is looking more at the dubious um, face of um, the city that I'm in love with and live in. And then in the personal relationships, <laughs> um, uh, theme, we have <clears throat> Fantango, which is looking at the beginning of a relationship, that first moment of meeting and the kind of excitement and uncertainty of it, 
And it's also kind of um, structured around the idea of the fairy tale ending. So really, this is a, a doomed encounter. And this piece here, Disarming Mars, is more about putting aside those ideas of the happy ending and rather more focusing on physical gratification and just, you know, a superficial interaction. And then um, here, they look really bad. <laughs> Can you, is it possible to adjust just to, or is it the, the well, anyway, so. Um, By the way, they don't look really bad. Oh, they don't. Well, let's carry on then. <laughs> so that piece, Sun Worship in Central Park, is more in the theme of identity. So there, it's kind of like I'm going on a date with myself. So I'm on a date with myself. It's self-discovery. I'm asking myself, you know, how I feel and, you know, what I think about. And it's a, it's a beautiful experience. So I'll just, um, oh, he's still adjusting. You can just carry on. It's fine. Everyone says they're okay. <laughs> And, um, and so actually the way that I came to, um, to those themes of um, personal encounters and the kind of exploration of self and identity is that I had a traumatic event and I didn't really know how to deal with it and I was very confused and a little bit frustrated and I just felt like, you know, I should get over it. And I just, you know, I just couldn't find a way to move past it. But then, you know, instinctively one day I picked up a piece of textile and I actually transferred that story in text and images onto this piece of fabric. And although as I was doing it, I felt the negative emotions again, when I finished, I actually felt quite lighthearted and happy. So, you know, I found a way to deal with my issues in a way. And so I guess I've been using a fabric to ask personal questions about identity, about emotions, about difficult encounters, and also traumas. But uh, not only that, I've also used it to express uh, beautiful abstract emotions and um, positive things as well. But um, it really has been, you know, it's been part of my growth as a person. So the silk has been like my companion. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. uh, not, do you want to do your full presentation and then we do the conversation if the images work? Uh, could we have Marcia's uh, slide? 
Okay, I think I suggest, I mean, while the images are sorted, that we, we begin the conversation and hopefully at, at some point we can show the images. Um, the first thing I wanted to say is that, um, first of all, when I received the email from Koyo to, you know, to moderate this conversation, I said yes, you know, it's really, it's yes, because um, we actually met in um, 1997. Uh, I was still a student, I went to Johannesburg for the Johannesburg Biennial and I understand that it's the year you moved to Johannesburg. So we met before, you know, we were really, um, you know, active in the, inter on the international art scene. And I remember at the time you had um, an interest in fashion. Uh, so can you explain uh, what led you to practice in the, visual, in the field of visual art as opposed to fashion. But I know you're combining both in a way, but can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the thing is, I was always interested in being an artist and uh, not working in fashion, but <clears throat> somehow I, I saw the, the artistry in fashion, you know, the, the creativity, the ideas. So it wasn't actually like the fashion trends and the kind of commodification of objects. It was really about the fact that those, those designers are artists, they've just chosen the garment as their form of expression. So I really appreciated that. But um, I, you know, I always wanted to work in the art field and just at a certain po point, I needed to pay my bills and I got a job in fashion and I really enjoyed it. And you know, I started moving in that industry and I did very, very well. And the fashion industry really supported my art career. So it's been a symbiotic relationship. Um, and Marcia, um, you trained at the University of uh, Nigeria, Nsuka, mm -hmm. um, between 87 and, eight, and 94. And um, it, it's a really young age to decide to become an artist. So I wanted to ask you, was it an outright decision of yours to become an artist? And how did your family react to your you know, choice of become, studying art? Well, I would say uh, being an artist has always been that thing that I knew how to do. Um, even at a very young age. Um, going to the University of Nigeria on Sukai was more uh, about uh, this period of time where I had the opportunity to spend a year in any department that I wanted. And so I chose art to do that, the art department to do that. And uh, while I was there, I had the opportunity to meet uh, a lot of wonderful people. So people ranging from Olo Guibe to Chikao Kikaglu to Obiro Dechiku, Sylvester Ogbeche was there. Uh, the professors, Chikaniako, who introduced us in a very lively way to uh, African art, Olao Lloydi, um, Ella Natsui. There were all these people there in the university that really expanded the way that I thought about art and things like that. So, I mean, that one year became four and I graduated. But um, it was really the kind of education that we also got there, which was really integrated and uh, interdisciplinary. So it was uh, you studying your art and then, you know, having some courses in the sciences, having some courses in theatre, anthropology, philosophy. And um, in the evenings, you go recite poetry, maybe poems that you've written or poems that you just enjoy uh, in this place called the Ant Hill. I was a student revolution student movement at that time because it was a period of dictatorship. So it was really a very active period in my life and I enjoyed it. So I stayed on. Mm -hmm. So your family responded positively with Not very your decision well. <laughs> because um, I, my, my parents wanted me, you know, the big three, medicine, lawyer or engineer, wanted me to become a medical doctor. But I think when I spent that time in um, 
um, um, the art department and the kinds of ways that they um, encouraged me to ask questions about life and to look uh, at life uh, and the kinds of people that I met there and their outtake on um, 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 and their perspective on things really um, encouraged me to, to stay there. Mm. And can I ask you the same question? How, you know, how did your family respond to this uh, desire to become a, an artist? Well, at first they were in denial because they could see every <laughs> evening I was drawing and I was like, oh, I've got to be the best, whatever. And then when I was ready to go to university and I said I want to study fine art, my dad was like, never. And I was going to be the first person in my family to actually get a degree. So I said, well, actually, then I'm not going to university. He was like, okay, okay, it's fine, then you can go. But actually now he's my biggest advocate. You know, when I'm like straying and doing other things, he says, what's going on? Focus. You've always wanted this thing, so do it. <laughs> so it's great. So you, you both have in common to work with, um, or with or around fabric, uh, textile, cloth, as a medium or object of representation. Um, and Billy, I mean, you showed a uh, little bit of images. Uh, I hope we can have some more images. But um, uh, can you talk a little bit about your technique and how you source your material? Because we showed you know, layers, the progression of a, an artwork, but how do you... You know, what's the process? Um, well, I start off really with an idea or an emotion, as I was beginning to say earlier. And then I let the idea kind of develop in my mind until it becomes a visual narrative. And then I do a line drawing and I use that as the template to cut out the silk. And I've sourced my silk really all over the world because, you know, from that point of view, the world is really one. I've sourced fabrics in New York, in Belgium, in London, right here in London, in South Africa. I've gotten some offcuts from uh, Dries van Norton's um, studio. So, and I've had friends like give me pieces. So, you know, it's, it's been quite organic and, and very exciting. <laughs> And may I ask why silk? Because that's the question. You well, for me, growing up, you know, I had no access to silk. It was always like cotton. So when I saw silk and it's so rich and, you know, the way it shines, for me, it's like butter, you know, when it reflects in the light. And also historically, it was, you know, it was a sign of status. So, you know, it is, it is something luxurious. So I was quite curious to work with this thing that was foreign to me. Um, and I want to add as well that the, I mean, your choice of medium was quite uh, unusual in a way in South Africa because I remember when we met in '97, it was the, it was the beginning of the emergence of a new generation of artists who were doing mainly, you know, performances, video art, and you chose something that is quite, uh, you know, tactile and, um, you know, uh, uh, material based as opposed to immaterial or. or a new media kind of a kind of thing. So were you um, apprehensive, or did you? I mean, you didn't go towards the more fashionable uh, discipline in a way. Did you well, think about the, that when you you know when you looked at the art scene in Johannesburg at the time? Well, I appreciated what everyone was doing, but I was really following my personal journey, and you know, I was interested in texture, and for some reason, you know, I felt a kind of comfort in working with fabric. And I suppose it really comes from personal memory, you know, like being in comfortable sheets or playing in the sheets that are on the washing line or rolling in the curtains. You know, I just, I actually just found it really comforting. So no, I never felt that I should be doing what someone else is doing. I felt like I should see where this was going to take me. 
Um, and Marcia, I want to ask you the same question. Uh, your work uses or translates um, textile material. Um, how did you develop your visual language? And, and can you also talk about your creative process? And maybe now is the time to have your images if you want. Yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be nice. so is it possible to have Marcia's? Uh, slideshow, which is the other one, please. It works now. Yes, and it looks great. <laughs> I think it's the one uh, on top. No. Yeah, probably that one. Yeah. Okay. So this one, okay, all right. The warp, the weave, the weft, Yoji Yamamoto, Isimiyaki, Rei Kawakubo, cloth. Ibo, Nock, and Uli, Martin Magella, Alexander McQueen, Synthesis, Simple Forms, Direct Execution, Ephemeral Script, Cloth Becomes Body, Body Becomes Cloth. The dressed body, tension and adornment. I think of the cot, the tear of the fabric, drafted pattern, fragments. The line is a cut, a stitch, the tension in collage, form is a three-dimensional rug. The rug covers shame, blemishes and sores. It's a keeper of secrets. The body is the rug. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, can you um, maybe give us a few clues on your, on your creative process? Yeah, basically, my, most of my work draws from archives. It draws from pulling things from different sources and different uh, places. It uses the language of collage. Um, it uses that um, way of pulling from different places to create something new. Uh, so I, I would work with archives. I would work with uh, material, uh, 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 putting different things uh, together to create um, 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 drawings, to create um, collages. Uh, but really thinking about the language of cloth, both in a two-dimensional and three-dimensional form, and also conceptually. So the idea of cloth as the body and the body as cloth always plays that uh, role. The layering of the collage, the layering of cloth, the, uh, uh, the covering of, uh, of, of the rug on the floor and the relationship between the body and cloth it's um, almost always interchangeable. So in terms of pulling materials from my work, I perform, like I said, different sources and use a lot of uh, 
different kinds of uh, materials or medium. So I move from collage to drawing to sculpture. Uh, for me, it's almost as if it's one language that I'm speaking, even if it's in uh, different forms uh, that it comes out. But sometimes I need to see my form in three-dimensional. Uh, I need to see my uh, drawn uh, body in three-dimension. I need to see it uh, pulling out from the surface. So uh, in terms of uh, material and where I draw things from, and how it affects my work from that stage onto uh, 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 the, the real realization of the piece. All of them constantly are in dialogue. Thank you. Um, in terms of um, aesthetics and narrative, uh, Billy, your work is um, very much um, naturalistic and in many ways, in, in you've, you've explained in, um, a little bit um, autobiographical. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about it and what moments of your life do you choose to put in your work? You know, what guides this, uh, you know, what, what do you choose to represent in you know, what seminal moments? Well, basically, I mean, I choose to represent the moments that for me feel significant and somehow translate to, you know, they compel me to, to share them. So the first one obviously was the, that initial traumatic event that was really what shifted everything for me. But then also, you know, when I was asking questions about who I am and what I want and whether I'm on the right track, I felt I needed to share that because I felt that, it, you know, it's a global experience, that I'm not alone in that. But also when I looked inside of myself and I, you know, I, I started to accept myself for who I am, not saying, you know, I shouldn't be like that, I should be like that, but saying, hey, this is who I am and I love myself and... And, you know, I wanted to share that moment as well. So, and then there's a moment when I said, you know, I feel actually quite at peace and I wanted to share that moment. So the moments actually really just reveal themselves. And, and Marcia, um, when, when we look at your work, um, and I particularly look at the Vogue series, Dressed Up, I think we've got images of Dressed Up, yeah, mm -hmm. and fashionable um, hybrids, mm -hmm. uh, we see a number of things, um, and you've mentioned it in your, in your spoken word presentation, <laughs> um, drawing, sculpture, um, painting, collage, but there's also um, a, a multiple hybridity uh, we have, we've seen, um, I mean, in your work, there are figures that are both anthropomorphic, mm -hmm. animal-like, mm -hmm. and organic. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a mix, uh, there were some images where there's a mix between um, um, figures dressed up, um, you know, in classical outfit or Victorian outfit. That was outfit. a dressed up series, yeah. I'm sure. And, and, and there's a mix between that and elements of urban or popular culture, mm -hmm. you know, the sneakers and mm -hmm. um, images where there are uh, accessories, like, the pit, you know, there's a, there's a work where yeah, there's a pit bull and there are mm -hmm. sneakers. Mm -hmm. And there's also a sort of gender blurring because there you have black female, uh, sorry, black male figures mm -hmm. with, um, you know, um, drapes or dra dresses that are more identified to, mm. to uh, Victorian or, mm. um, uh, let's say, ar aristocratic white female uh, mm. characters. So can you talk a little bit about that? How do you, how do you Yeah, I guess uh, the, the, it's, it's, I think what I, uh, it's, it's really from my transition from uh, the Vogue series to the Dress Up series, that transition and how it took place. Um, for the Vogue series, what I was really looking at was when uh, Uli script that uh, this form of um, painting and drawing on, 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 on the female body became um, 
transferred onto cloth because they shared certain kinds of similarities, they shared certain kinds of um, almost like the same language. Just like Uli is a covering on the skin, um, dress is a covering on the body, things like that. So pulling from that, drawing from the concept of Uli, it was easy for me to transfer that idea onto clothing. And then um, I had a good opportunity to work with a Japanese fiber and conceptual artist, uh, Yoshiko Wada, who introduced me to a lot of Japanese designers, but from a conceptual point of view. Uh, so people who actually addressed um, um, issues of the body, but addressed it from um, a, a broader perspective, not just from that commercial uh, a place where we all know uh, fashion is known uh, to be, but um, really looking at it critically and as asking questions uh, deeply. So it was easy for me to pull from that idea or that kind of way of thinking and transfer that uh, uh, into my work. In the Vogue series, I was really talking about uh, the duality or the uh, multiplicity of uh, of the human of of, of, of of the human being. I I have come to a place where I I, I believe that uh, a person is just not one person, but several people in one person. We are like a multitude in a body, and uh, we present ourselves in different ways and in different. Uh, 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 formats, you know, at different points in time. I am not the same way I am with one friend like I am with the other. So it was just a way of uh, touching upon that but doing it through the idea of dress. At the time I finished the Vogue series, I was really in a quandary because I had just moved to the United States and it was a question of really questioning what it was that, where it was that I wanted to take my work to. At that point, you know, I really felt um, uh, a lonely, a little, I, I felt disconnected, I felt it was as if I was in a limbo and it was a, a period of time where I had to start reconstructing, should I say, uh, my, my influences or my identity, if you will. But uh, the dressed up series were actually portraits of me. They were not really, I wasn't looking at them as if they were portraits of people that I was drawing, yeah, but put, uh, it you've got pulled from um, um, my post-colonial history and um, the, the, the place where I was uh, presently, which was in the United States of America. Um, the influence of hip-hop came when I got lost during research at the Cooper Hewitt uh, Museum, museum in, uh, uh, in, in, in New York. I was going back home and got lost on the subway. And um, um, I decided to just hang in there, to just uh, see where the, the, the train was going to stop and uh, find my way back home, you know, just retrace, retrace my steps since I wasn't in any rush to get home that evening. And what happened was that I got lost in the Bronx. I found myself in the Bronx in New York. And then when I looked, I mean, the encounter was just so visceral and so profound. It was as if uh, the whole, this body had been transferred, you know, from the continent and it was just right there. I was looking at people who were moving and talking and 
communicating in a way that I could understand and in a way that I, I, I knew. I recognized the bounce and the swagger from high school. I recognized the, 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 the colors and the, the slaps on the body, you know, in forms of greetings and, you know, uh, uh, joy. Uh, so, and there was music. It was, it was so profound that at that particular point in time, I was transported back to my parents, you know, sitting room at home where there were boxes of, you know, influences of, of, of rap, of salt and pep, pepper, LL Cool J, uh, uh, Womack and Womack, uh, uh, My Fair Lady, all, all those kinds of influences, James Bond. I mean, there were, there were things that all of a sudden I could make that connection. All of a sudden it all made sense to me. So the other missing part of my collage became uh, the appropriation of hip hop couture or hip hop um, imagery in my uh, um, um, in, in in my collage. Uh, so uh, the Victorian hood couture that I had been studying at the Cooper Hewitt became the second part of these uh, uh, portraits that I that I that I pieced together of myself. Okay, um, Billy. Uh there's one clearly identified narrative in your work um, that is self-portrait, uh, and we've seen images. But can you also um, talk about the representations of um, social space and, and metaphor, um, notably in terms of female narrative, gender relations, and, you know, or, and love relationships, um, race, and also architecture? Well, that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can, um, can we skip again to Billy's uh, slideshow? Well, um, I tell the, the story of um, a female protagonist in the urban setting and, you know, it, it is autobiographical because really I draw the information from my own personal experiences, but it's also symbolic of a general state of being. And, um, you know, I, for me, architecture is very interesting because I grew up in very small towns that were pristine and nothing was ever run down. You know, there was never like a dangerous corner or anything. So when I moved into the city and I, and I looked at the face of the city, I was completely fascinated. And the thing that fascinated me the most was the kind of the decaying, the transformation, that the thing that happens when you allow it to happen. And um, so, it, you know, I found a beauty in it. So some people would talk about inner city as a terrible thing and, you know, it's being allowed to decay. But I, you know, I just, I see a lot of character in it. You know, it's a bit like when you age as a person and you start to get wrinkles and stuff. It's really very, very beautiful and it shows experience. But also I've recently discovered an architect who um, says, I can't remember her name, but she says that for her, the beautiful thing about um, a building being erected and finished is that from the, that moment, the decay begins. So I feel that I resonate with how she feels about buildings. So It's interesting because in a way it echoes what you were saying about relationships and relationships mm. in, um, bound to be doomed. Mm. You know? Yes, yeah. sort of yeah. a, depending on yeah. you, how you approach them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, art observers usually um, tend to make uh, um, visual association when looking at art. And do you, and it's a question to both of you, do you uh, acknowledge any, I mean you, you did in a way, mm. kind of artistic filiation or, and are there um, works of artists um, that have inspired you or works that you feel your work is in dialogue with? Billy, maybe? 
Well, I, I know that I'm very interested in um, old posters. So Toulouse-Lautrec for me was um, quite important. And in a way, when I, when I did Le Fantango, the, you know, the woman in the dance, I was actually kind of channeling Toulouse-Lautrec and some of the kind of um, uh, um, political posters also from Russia and so on. But then when I was on a residency in the Bronx in New York, I discovered Kerry James Marshall and also how he deals with like black identity. And I don't know why, but I actually resonated with that. Mm -hmm. And at a certain moment when I was producing some work, I was also, you know, channeling him. I was thinking about like the emotional state. Mm -hmm. And um, and also, you know, I'm, I'm also very interested in Japanese designers. Mm -hmm. So I think about how for them, it's not just making clothes, it's creating form, it's like sculptures. So also, you know, I think about that. So I'm definitely, you know, thinking about different things. I'm not necessarily thinking about it on a visual level, more on the emotional. And we, and we, before you were also talking uh, about uh, Sophie Kahn, is Sophie Kahn? Yes, yeah. I mean, I find it interesting that because, you know, I feel that some of the things that I have um, <clears throat> put into a narrative have been incredibly personal. And people have said to me, wow, you're so brave. But for me, it doesn't feel brave. It feels like something that should be shared because often when we have a relationship that fails, we feel so much shame, we don't actually want to talk about it. But I'm saying, you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's make our shame public. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's a human thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by her publishing her breakup letters, whatever, I feel like she's also saying the same thing. She's saying, you know, sometimes these things don't work. You feel this way. This happens. It's awkward. You're angry. And um, I think it's, it's a good thing for us to do as a society is to actually, you know, share and be compassionate towards each other. Yeah. And uh, um, I just want maybe to use the fact that we have that to look at this image, which is uh, mm. uh, interesting. I remember when we did the show in, um, uh, in Paris, uh, Iman Fares. Mm. Uh, I mean, we didn't have this piece, but we, you know, I wrote something for the uh, publication and you were... I actually titled my exhibition En Toute Innocence because of the way your work is so subtle and so feminine, but at the same time empowering. And um, can you talk about a bit about this one, about the rebirth of that? Well, this, this is, you know, this is when I was doing that whole thing of looking inside and saying, okay, so maybe I'm not so great there, but I, you know, I love myself anyway, and I'm going to acknowledge that part of myself. And um, so that sash says, um, surrender wholeheartedly to your complexity. So really, it's like embrace yourself, love yourself. I mean, some people might say, hey, like, I'm not digging that part of you. And, you know, I want to say, well, that's too bad because, you know, that part of me is who I am. And, you know, I think I'm pretty cool. <laughs> so, and, you know, that's, we should, you know, like I was saying about compassion, a person cannot be perfect. No one is perfect. And that's the problem with the fairy tale ending in relationships is that we're expecting perfection and it doesn't exist. We are flawed and we're perfect at the same time. So, and you know, for me, it's also a state of self-empowerment because by acknowledging who I am and embracing it completely, I am a more powerful person. I can go through the world with more self-assurance. So that's why I titled it The Rebirth and making reference to Venus, a goddess. So it's, you know, it's a self-empowerment piece. Yeah. And, and Marcia, is there, are there artists, I mean, you talked, uh, you touched on it um, yeah. earlier, but like, do you feel that 
Is there a dialogue that your work has with other artists that you, you know, course, with, with whom you feel connected in a way? Yeah, I, I, I do that, but I think in, 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 in an overall way, I, I, I look for ideas or, or inspiration rather from, from non-artistic fields, if you will, if there's anything like that. I don't think there's a field that's not artistic, but... Um, uh, so for thinking about connection, or thinking about how we're all interconnected, for example, or trying to touch on that in my work. For me, I pull a lot from Stephen Hawking when he would ask the question, why are we here? I mean, when you look at it from that perspective, there's so many things, perception and all that just dissolve, you know, and you're looking at it from a much broader perspective. And I like that kind of engagement. And so, um, I'm constantly looking at, you know, uh, different uh, 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 disciplines or different uh, ways to get inspiration. Of course, it's almost standard, you know, you go somewhere, you see something you like, you pull from that, or, you know, right from school and, you know, like I talked about in fashion and stuff like that. Those are the, like, I think, <laughs> given. I just feel like on a, on a broader, more larger scope, you know, where... I base my work from, you know, is from that very high plane. And um, your work seems to reveal a, a sort of serial approach, if I may say. Um, how do you develop a series and um, what nurtures it? And um, how do you feel or when do you feel that you've achieved uh, your, either your aesthetic exploration or thematic ex exploration mm. in your work? Um, when I was in school, Obiara Dechuku gave me an assignment. He asked me to do one thing, and I did several. And since then, he had uh, he encouraged me that if one wasn't enough, I could because it was almost like I could say say it in so many so so many other ways, and uh, in saying it in so many other ways, they kind of became connected. They were one body, but they were all, you know. Uh, same thing too with pulling from this idea from Stephen Hawking, but it's um, a way of going into a, 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 a problem or a way of trying to solve something in my studio and I find out that there are so many ways that I want to say the same thing and um, uh, when I've done one and it's enough, I just move on to the next one and in s most of the cases I've found um, a lot of people like to show my work um, in series because when you show one, it looks very lonely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, um, it's, it's, that's, that's the way I normally create the series. And uh, it never really ends for me per se. It flows, continues to inform my work in one way or the other. And naturally, I guess it would dissolve. But when that dissolution takes place, I'm not quite sure. Mm. Uh, and Billy, you're not working in the same way. Yeah. Well, I have a short concentration span, <laughs> so I actually find it quite difficult to focus. But ironically, if I may, um, can I? Um, the body of work that I've been working on at the moment is actually the first time that I feel that I can make a series. So these three pieces are part of the series that I'm working on at the moment. So actually, now I am working on a series. <laughs> I can focus. <laughs> so, so, well, 
how did the series start and you know what what are you looking or what you, what you know what are you exploring in the series well i'm i'm exploring pretty much the same thing i've been exploring which is really um life in the urban environment as an african woman today and in an african city and the kind of concerns and preoccupations so um when we go back to this piece this is you know really more about like the supermarket age and our food supply and how dubious it is and you know how do you take charge of that in that urban environment <clears throat> and then this piece is also about like time you know how do you how do you put yourself first because you're so caught up in obligations in the city which is just there like it's never going away it's just there but um it's really nice to just get away and come back to oneself so i mean you know they're very everyday issues and um this piece is more about appreciating the urban environment but also knowing when you can leave so yeah um that's a question to both of you what are the impulses in your practice um is there i mean do you work when there's a creative well not do you work but like is there a creative urge that's sort of driving the the way you know you create or um do you work on commissions or for exhibition you know for projects um how do you you know how do you get, go about that? and I'm asking that also because i know that your work is very intricate and it's, it takes a long time you know to to create so how how do you go about that well i find that having a goal helps me to focus <clears throat> but um I start by tidying up really. I tidy up the whole house. <laughs> Fold things. And then, you know, when everything else is clear, then then I can sit down and do it. But I don't I don't really work on commissions in in that I'm going to give you Billy. I'm not going to give you you. It's like you do it, you know. So that's not really something that drives me. It's more what, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to say? And, you know, that's what I do. Mhm. Mm Yeah. Um working on commissions uh I I like working on commissions because it gives me a challenge which is uh it gives me like a set of rules and some set of limitations which I like to work with. Um but also I love the freedom of having to create my 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 work from scratch like the show at the 154 was created you know just for 154 yeah i was actually going to ask about yeah that. so it was very exciting for me to do that you know even talking about the space and you know sending photographs back and forth and figuring out where which where each piece is supposed to be mm -hmm. and finishing an installation right there on the site uh um it um it's enjoyable on both platforms i would say each one has its own uh, uh, ways of engaging with it and each one presents with it its own um um challenges i guess but um uh i've worked with uh, most of the time i had a problem with one of my galleries in new york who tried to you know but i i i i couldn't i had to be honest to the, my work mm -hmm. I, i so i most of the time in terms of dealing with someone who is really interested in taking your uh, uh in 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 helping you um, um build your career it's very important it was very important for me to find someone who would allow me to be who i am mm. and um in most cases in my shows they don't nobody knows what i'm showing until Yeah. Until you install. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I'm, I mean, I want to go back to to you, Billy, because I saw the show that you curated, Hollandaise, mm. and um, 
actually my question was also how do you um, you know the, the the show was very much about the the you know textile, the wax the the textile and I know that you're usually creating from your own you know perspective or narrative so how do you engage with the a curatorial narrative how do you how do you appropriate <coughs> it in your work in that case how, how did you well the exciting thing about that was that it was actually concerning trade routes mm -hmm. so you know the silk trade route I mean it's absolutely incredible because. It's also come to Africa, it's accessible. I can go to the shop down the road and it's there and I can appropriate it and make it mine. So from that point of view, I felt you know, that there was a parallel thing going on. But also what was exciting was that I could create a kind of a trompe l'oeil. So I was imitating the Hollandaise textile, but using silk. So there was a conversation happening between two different types of textile. So you know, I enjoyed that. It was a beautiful challenge, it was stimulating. And you named the pieces by, they had like... Yes, well, they were, the, they were the different textiles. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that because they were like powerful African women. So, oh. you know, that also really resonated with what I was saying in my mm -hmm. work. Yeah. And uh, talking about the, the piece that you created here for, the, for 154, mm. um, there's an interesting fact that you both have a, a, an artwork that has the same name. <laughs> Guess who's coming Sisters. to dinner? <laughs> so I think maybe we can have a, a conversation about your, your different takes on the, you know, on, on the piece. So we don't have the image, but maybe you can mm. describe it. Uh, yeah. Or, well, yeah, maybe because yours uh, is back mm. from dates from remember the date of your well, it's piece. A, it's a while it's back. It's an old yeah, one. Years, yeah. yeah. Well, and my, my piece is a long piece and it's people sitting at a table and it's um, the family of my can ex. I, can I can you? Everyone knows uh, who's com the film yes. uh, guest Guess is coming, coming to, to dinner. dinner. <laughs> so basically it's the, the, the other family and he's sitting next to me and I'm kind of going out of the picture frame. So I'm kind of cut out and I look very awkward. I look so fragile. <laughs> And, um, you know, it's because I kind of experienced that, something that I actually hadn't, because I guess I'd been, you know, living in this perfect world and that I was um, living in a colorblind world. So when I encountered this kind of awareness of color and this biracial relationship, you know, it was a very difficult situation for me. And I guess I wanted to describe that situation by using a, a reference that was uh, well known. So that's why... I use the title Guess Who's Coming to Dinner to help to tell my narrative. Yeah. And your piece, you can talk about your piece. Well, for this show, uh, for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, I think I really wanted to get to the mind or to the crux of something. And normally what I do is I create narratives because then it makes them very personal and then I can ask very hard questions and uh, take time to figure out what it is or what I can, what I imagine these kinds of um, encounters, what kind of uh, uh, discussions or conversations will, uh, you know, emerge from these encounters. So uh, for, for guests who is coming to dinner for, for 154, what I did was take on the film, but then continue the narrative from that uh, space. So it continues uh, that uh, John Prentice marries Joey and they move to the Democratic Republic of Congo. His mother moves to London where she opens a gallery and is introducing um, American artists to the audience. Uh, and the guest who she is um, inviting to dinner is some work staff who is uh, uh, was a well-known um, um, uh, American curator who kind of like brought this whole uh, um, 
new way of looking at photography and um, created, you know, photography as um, uh, help create uh, uh, the place where photography occupies today as a work of art in its own right. So it was uh, really uh, looking at uh, Sam Wagstaff, his life, and looking at that collection. Um, and uh, thinking about his own personal struggles because he was gay and uh, it was a very difficult time to talk about this in New York in the 80s. And, but uh, he had this dual personality where he would um, go to all these very dark shady clubs in the night and then in the morning of course he's this uh, big curator who is doing all this uh, amazing work but somehow i found that you know it was pulling from that dark place that informed his collection of photography which i found very interesting and uh, of interest to me was the fact that he collected a lot of ethnographic material, he collected a lot of medical material. It was a way of looking at photographing in a new way, you know, making the uh, argument that it was both art and document. I had this dual, just like him, you know, it was just two things in one. So it was almost as if he was photography and photography was him. But in the terms of trying to escape into this space, he would look at like landscapes and, you know, be in a different place. So for him, uh, photography was really therapeutic. And um, looking at his collection, you could see all the kinds of struggles that he went through in his life. So that, hence, there's a lot of photography uh, um, elements in the, in the in the show here at 154. Now, uh, Joey's mother uh, is struggling with the fact that her son uh, son-in-law and daughter have moved to the Democratic Republic of Congo and they have a son and we're almost as if the perception of race now changes. It's shifted and she's struggling with this and they have these very difficult conversations that have to take place. The artworks themselves are supposed to be this kind of hard discussions that take place but drawing from the archive drawing from different sources like i said from material and uh, uh um, some of the uh, uh imagery that i pulled from was from the smithsonian institution from some work staff seminal collection and um, reinterpreting them or you know, this narrative where you have the, the, that forced uh, union of the collage and the tension that it creates, you know, and trying to talk about that dual personality in him uh, with the androgynous series, but that um, the, the, the concept of one moves into um, a line in the other and then it becomes three-dimensional form in the sculpture. So I'm really talking about the body in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, because we're in the context of um, an art fair, I want to ask to both of you, um, what is the nature, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky question, what's the nature of your dialogue with um, gallerists or collectors when you create new pieces, you know, whether you're commissioned or, or if you have existing mm -hmm. you know, piece that you're, pieces that you're creating, do you feel um, uh, you know, pushed to uh, remain within a, if I may say, sellable, Kind of aesthetic, or, or do you feel that? I mean, how do you ne negotiate? You know, the fact that obviously your work has to uh, get, uh, you know, to be collected, mm. but also how do you negotiate that and your, you know, exp the room for experimenting? Mm. It's, I know it can be a tricky question mm. to oh, answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, for me personally, when I make um, a piece of a work, I have to forget about what's happening on the outside. So, you know, I can't actually be thinking, you know, is the gallery going to want this? Is the collector going to like it? Then, you know, I might as well give up and go and sit in the garden and read a book and have a cocktail because, you know, it defeats the whole point of what I do. I do what I do because for me it's about freedom of expression. And right now I choose to do this and that's why I do it. Yeah, I, I think I would just say that I've chosen to make art and nobody's going to take that right away from me. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember we had a conversation years ago about uh, the fact that you, you were in a situation where your, your work was collected, but you, you know, so it would go from, uh, you know, from maybe from you to the collector, but, and, and you wanted to have your work exhibited and engage with the audience. How important is that for you to, you know, to, to have this sort of dialogue with the, with the audience? I think sharing is caring, so, you know, it's nice to have the work out there for people to also appreciate. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be nice if the collector wants to share. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, again, still in the context of the fair, how is the market treating you? Do you sell well? Is it... Uh, I remember when you, you know, when Afronova started and, you know, I was in conversation with Henri and it was Henri Vergon. Who was, will we be talking to, uh, tomorrow, Henri? Yes. No, tomorrow. I think the day after. On Sunday? Was it? Yeah. Um, you know, he was saying, he was saying that uh, he opened the exhibition, it was, it was a sellout, you know. Mm. Uh, so has it been, uh, you know, has the market been good for you in Africa and or beyond the continent? Or what, what's the, who is buying your work? Is it like in, you know, Nigeria or South Africa or uh, outside the continent? I'm well, sure it for is me outside it's, the continent. Yeah, for me it's both. So I'm very lucky to have support in South Africa. But actually that moment that Henri speaks about was actually very strange for me because I was completely disconnected from it. Because when I was doing what I was doing, it wasn't really about that. And it's, although, you know, it's a nice thing, but even, even today I can say that I never actually experienced that. I didn't, you know, I was there and it was my show and it was great, and, but I wasn't there, just I really wasn't. And, and so when you talk about it, I feel like you're talking about someone else, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've, we've done quite well. I'm very happy about that. And uh, the thing is also that um, the, uh, the, 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 there are a lot of collectors who are willing to make the trip outside, uh, you know, from, from, you know, from the continent to be in this fair. So, I mean, I think the fair offers that kind of platform. And so I've met a lot of my friends. I've met a lot of uh, people who I've known in Nigeria for quite some time and the stand here. And yeah, so it's been a good thing, you know, from, yeah, from all over, I guess. So, yes, it's been good. Mm -hmm. So before we open to the floor, uh, I want to ask you, what are your next projects? Projects coming up? I've still got a lot to say in this um, series. Okay. I'm not done yet. It's only three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, project. Um, I'll be working with Koyo Kuyo in Body Talk uh, uh, in, in um, Brussels. I'm very excited about um, this. Uh, will be in February. And then I have a, a solo show in New York, uh, which will be like a new body of work. 
um, in um, February as well. And, uh, and then I come back to London for a show, hopefully, um, in conjunction with Alexander McQueen at the V&A. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so much. We're going to open to the floor. Are there any questions? If you can wait for the mic to come to you and just say your name. Sorry, I'm speaking without the mic This one um this one question here. Billy, I just have a question for you. I'm interested in your use of language and titles, and you said a lot of them seem to be quite autobiographical. Um, but I was just wondering about the overlay of language, French and English, as in the tango work, and you know, which, why French? Which which languages are you using? I mean, what what is the role of of script generally in your? In your well, you know, that's kind of making reference to last tango in Paris. It was set in Paris and. And, you know, it's kind of like a broken French, because in French, fantango doesn't really exist. But it's also like the dance, like the fan, you know, so there's a, you know, there's just a little play with words. But the titles for me, at that stage, I did go through a stage where, you know, I used images and text. So it just helps me to carry my narrative forward. And um, as I said, you know, the, the old poster also is something that I find very interesting, the aesthetic of it. Oh, there's a question here. It's coming. Oh, thank you. I'm Chris Spring. Uh, Billy, I'm very interested in what's missing from your uh, uh, works as well as what's there. And I notice that fire escape never reaches the ground. I mean, and the lady who's sitting in the piece of waste ground with the city behind her, that's complete. And it seems like a kind of idyllic moment, you know. Am I barking up the wrong tree, or are those important kind of elements in, in um, and the, the dance is like a fragment, you know, are, are those... Well, important? actually, the, you know, the process is actually quite um, organic and instinctive. So I remember when I did um, the one piece, uh, Exquisite Fantasy, I really wanted to have a little piece cut off, but I just forgot. <laughs> so, and then some pieces just feel like they don't need it, but it's not really about whether it's complete or not. Yeah. It's maybe that you've got a piece in your pocket and I'm hoping that you know, you'll just put it there and, and finish it. And I love the idea of, of the silk, uh, just the material. Mm -hmm. Um, and you talk about it being luxurious. Mm. It, it's very powerful fabric, but very fragile at the same time, mm. I think, and that comes across mm. pretty strongly in your work. And also where it's coming from, you know. Mm. It has a kind of evocation of the Indian Ocean and that very, very ancient kind of trade. And, yeah, but actually a very interesting thing that's um, come to light for me is that I started out doing portraits of the city and then I found a way to work through my issues and find a catharsis. And then, you know, I was transforming something into something else. I was like, transformation, I'm actually dealing with transformation. And of course, silk is a byproduct of transformation. So, and I'm thinking maybe that's actually the subconscious reason why I was using it to deal with the idea of converting something negative into something positive, mm -hmm. something abstract into something tangible. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you know, there's, there's a kind of a, a circle that's, that's happened. Mm -hmm.
Thanks. Uh, lovely work. Thank you. Any other questions? Oh, okay. uh, hi. Yeah, it's uh, Kenneth Montague. I'm a collector from uh, Toronto. And uh, Marcia, I am just wondering uh, a little bit about the, uh, just in terms of your educational background, this experience uh, in Ensuka and, and thinking about that Ensuka school. I was in Nigeria last year and, and just putting, I'm kind of putting the threads together and figuring out uh, in what way maybe that particular experience influenced you and, and do we see or do we feel it still in your work or is that something that was sort of along the way and now is something that in some way you don't reference or has that school experience been paramount for your practice? It's been quite parallel to my practice. I think when I came to the United States what happened was I looked, I had the chance to look at Uli very, very closely and intensely because it was my connection and I really wanted to find out the essence of what Uli really was. I wanted to break it down to its separate components and then pull out from it at any point in time what was useful to me. Uli is a script, it's a language, it's um, when you think about it that way, you think about the body in motion or you think about gestures. There are just ways in which language can transfer to that. Uli is a script that deals with positive and negative space. Uli is a script that deals with um, the covenantal structure of things or the organic structure of things. It's very lyrical. If you look at my drawings very closely, Uli is always present. I like the way that it dissolves and becomes into something else. I like the way that it has expanded and become something else because Uli has that power to speak to. It doesn't really have to constantly be that thing that you recognize in my work. So I was encouraging school to think about Uli as um, in terms of expressing a movement or with a gesture, with a hand or with a drawing and thinking about that in terms of Chinese calligraphy where you use the breath direct execution. There is no erasure. Watercolor does that. It's there and it's done. Whatever mistakes you make, you accept it. So probably that's why I'm drawn to watercolor. That probably that's why I'm drawn to creating my own pigments myself, just like uh, the women in southeastern Nigeria would make their pigments. So I still make them my pigments in my kitchen today and take to the studio and use to create that. So that is like uh, uh, a link that I would never let go of. Uh, uh, but in terms of pushing it from where Uchi Okeke took it to and pushing it beyond uh, that has been like a quest in my work. And now the question is really that, okay, so if Uli is on the skin, how else can I make reference to Uli in terms of transferring that same idea of Uli onto clothing. So clothing, in a way, is Uli. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I'm
Koyo. I have a <laughs> simple question. Um, I, uh, when I was preparing uh, uh, these conversations, I, I sort of felt like uh, I don't know how much you know of each other, or <laughs> how much you 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 know of each other's work. Mm. I, I really I work quite intuitively sometimes. Mm. So uh, my question is: Do you see any sort of uh, you know? Um, Correspondence Completely and uh, and uh, and you know a dialogue. Yes, maybe yes, even I if do. you are not working mm. together, close friends or whatever, <laughs> and coming from the same backgrounds, mm. because I feel it very intensely mm. yeah. in uh, in both of your works, yeah. even though you use slightly different formalistic languages. Mm. So I would I would be very interested. For you to talk about this correspondence, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm having a shiver right now. <laughs> Thank you, my lost sister. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, because I mean, the, 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 mm. even when you look at Billy's work and you think about painting, you look at how you how work and you look at you think about texture and um, even the, her way of approaching ideas. When she says when she said that this came from a very difficult place, my interaction with Klaus too came from a diff very difficult place. It was after the introduction of Sharia law in Kaduna State and during this terrible riot, uh, a relative of mine uh, was killed and his body was desecrated. So it wasn't just a question of that he was dead, but it's just the manner of which his body was all over the place. So uh, when stories of survival started coming in, the what stood out for me the most was uh, the stories that stood out for me the most were stories that had to do with these encounters where you were wearing the wrong thing at the wrong place and you were caught on the other side of the border. So if you were Christian, you were in the Muslim side, you were wearing something that identified you as you're gone, vice versa. I mean, it was both sides were you know, doing all kinds of terrible things to each other. But I mean, to think that uh, what you were wearing could decide whether you could live or die. I mean, to me, the whole idea of what cloth was completely changed. I think if something can decide whether you were going to live or die, it's something that needs or deserves a second look. So uh, for, for um, the same thing too, you know, it came from a very difficult place, from a very difficult experience, this interaction with cloth and the way that I started looking at cloth and um, um, dealing with it and trying to see all those kinds of relationships between the role that cloth plays, even in popular culture. And then the, in LA, you have the blood and the crips, you know, you have your blue and your, your, your red, you wear the place where you're not supposed to wear it, you're gone. I mean, we, we think of about Trevor Martin, I mean, and he was wearing a hooded shirt and he was thought to be a suspicious character. This was clothing on his body. So, I mean, when you think about clothing in those kinds of terms, clothing takes on a different kind of narrative or story, if you will. Yeah, so, I mean, I agree. I, I, you know, I think that when people think about clothing and fashion, they immediately think about like trends and the kind of the hungering for the latest thing. But you know, there is the, a different 
side to clothing <clears throat> and it's something that's that's quite global it's something that we all have in common that we can't escape as people mm. is that it's it's part of our identity and we are communicating with it on so many different levels all the time mm. um, it's just that sometimes it can be a, a, an individual interpretation but for me, what I found, you know, the most exciting and refreshing is the fact that we both love the same Japanese designers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> Are there any other questions in the room? No, I think we can... Do any other final words that you want to... Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you.